Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Sean Moore went from medical device sales rep to VP of sales for one of the largest med tech companies in less than 10 years. Pretty impressive, right? Just like me, you might be thinking, but how did he do it? Killer sales results year after year? Right place at the right time? Well, stay tuned, because in this interview with Sean Moore, VP of Sales and Marketing for ConMed, you'll learn the keys to his rapid career advancement within the medical device space. And better yet, you'll walk away with some fantastic insights from one of the rising stars throughout all of MedTech. Here are some of the things we're going to learn. The top three to five keys to Sean's rapid career advancement within the MedTech space. What does Sean look for when promoting sales reps and or sales managers to the next level? The character traits of the most successful medical device sales reps and sales managers. What surprised Sean the most when he combined the sales and marketing departments at ConMed? Direct sales versus distribution for medtech companies is one better than the other and can they work together? What concerns Sean the most about the rapidly changing healthcare environment and conversely what excites him the most? And what does Sean know now that he wished he knew at the beginning of his medical device career? Of course, there's a lot more that we're going to cover in this interview with Sean Moore. But before we get started, listen to these very brief two messages. First, to get free email updates when another MedSider episode goes live, simply go to MedSider.com forward slash free. We don't send emails often, but when we do, they're full of valuable content. No spam ever. Just go to MedSider.com forward slash free to sign up. Second, MedSider is on iTunes. Just go to MedSider.com forward slash iTunes and you can subscribe to the podcast for free. That way, all the new episodes will automatically download to your iTunes account. It's super easy. Also, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it. That really helps us out. Okay, for you ambitious doers, here's your program. Hello, hello, everyone. It's Scott Nelson, and welcome to another edition of MedSider, the place where you can learn from experienced medical device thought leaders. And on today's program, we've got Sean Moore, who is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing uh, for ConMed, a world-class provider of medical equipment for minimally invasive surgeries and monitoring. Sean has extensive experience establishing and managing top producing sales organizations through direct involvement in large deals as a sponsor or closer with a proven success record generating, negotiating, and winning major national accounts. So without further ado, welcome to the, the program, Sean. I really appreciate you coming on. No, uh, thank you, Scott, for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, exactly. So let, let's start here, Sean. You've had uh, a pretty rapid um, sort of uh, you know, career advancement, or you followed a, a really rapid uh, career advancement path um, uh, both within ConMed as well as a short stint outside of ConMed. What, what are the, you know, the, the two or three you know, keys um, to that, that rapid career advancement that you've experienced? Well, I mean, Scott, one of the things that I think really helps people to advance in their career um, is um, you always have to be out learning um, and looking for opportunities um, to, to grow. Um, not only that, I think it's also important that when you're working for an organization is that 
you're always looking for additional projects and uh, additional opportunities within the company to take advantage of. Um, I mean, so so often you you see people. Um, well, I observe people in the organization who um, don't take those additional opportunities to you know uh, to take those on those extra projects in order to bring exposure to them, in order to get recognized by upper management, and then to get those opportunities. Um, so even with that, also you know, always going above and beyond expectations. I mean, every organization that you work for, everybody has a certain expectation of what they're expecting you to deliver. If you set your expectations higher than that and deliver on your own high expectations, you're really going to give yourself an opportunity to take those next opportunities. Um, you know, when it comes to you know management positions or that next position, it's it's always good to be able to be flexible. And when it comes to relocation, uh, one of the things in my career, I've always been very flexible uh, to relocate. I mean, I relocated from Vancouver, British Columbia to Washington, D.C. in order to take that next step in my career. Then I moved from Washington, D.C. to Denver in order to take that next step. So if people are really flexible in relocation, that can really accelerate um, their path in their advancement of the career. And then obviously, obviously the, the basic stuff, I mean, always delivering on, on results. And then I guess finally, I think the most important thing is, is that, you know, especially as you enter into a leadership role, is you always got to be developing your people. And once you develop your people, you're preparing your replacement in order to take your position. It's so much easier to uh, for a company to promote someone if they feel comfortable that the person following in their footsteps is prepared on to take on that that responsibility. Got it. So th- those are those are really great points. I'm going to ask you a couple follow up uh, items. So sure. I think especially, I mean, you're you're sort of a sales guy by nature. You came up through the sales ranks. Um, I, I think there's sort of a um, um, sort of a, a, a general understanding that you've got to make presence club and you've got to make it not not just for one year but multiple years in order to get promoted, um, et cetera. And and like you said, certainly that helps. But it sounds like that's yeah. not the only thing. That person's got to, you know, look for additional opportunities besides just hitting their sales number or exceeding their sales number. Is that is that the case? Am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you definitely are. Um, one of the things that you know, as a as a leader, when I'm looking to promote when I'm a sales rep into a management role, I mean, definitely, you know, hitting presidents clubs. Um, being able to demonstrate that you can sell new products because at the end of the day, you have to be able to demonstrate that you can, you can do those things because you're going to be teaching people how to do that. And then you also want to have the respect of the team that you're leading. But, you know, there's other qualities that are really important when you're looking to promote, um, a sales rep into maybe a sales manager. And, you know, one of those things is really having a servant leadership, um, perspective on your new role. And, you know, just because you're a great salesperson doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a great sales manager. I mean, when you become a sales manager, um, you're really stepping out of, the, out of the limelight, and it really becomes about your people that you're leading, and it's no longer about you. And I, I see some managers that struggle with that. You know, um, when, they, when they, they've been a superstar sales rep, they get into that management role, and they have a hard time making that transition about, hey, this is no longer about me, and this is about my people uh, that, that, that I'm leading, and really removing themselves out of the limelight and really embracing the whole servant leadership. I mean, I often talk to my sales leadership. It's like, it's like remember when you were a salesperson, um, the most important person, most important party to you was your end customer. 
Well, now as you become a sales manager, your customers are now your salespeople, and that's how you have to look um, at leading them. And then probably the second thing that I look for in promoting somebody is, um, you know, candor. I mean, I want someone to have the emotional fortitude to be able to tell me what they really think and what they really believe. Because at the end of the day, you don't, the greatest enemy of a leader is groupthink. And the last thing you want to have happen is your people just telling you what you think you, you, what, you, know, what you, think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So th- those are those are really. I-, I wouldn't have expected you to point out those those two those sort of two topics: servant leadership and then candor uh, in an effort to avoid groupthink. I really like that 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 I that concept. Um, can you can you speak a little bit more, uh, in, especially in regards to servant leadership? Um, well, and I also want to ask you a follow up question about candor. But but really on the servant leadership aspect, are there are there things that a a successful sales rep can can do sort of personally to to become more of a servant? Because you're dealing with typically with, you know, with with alpha 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 dogs. You know, the, those sales reps that have yeah. have, have done really well from uh, you know in terms of exceeding their numbers and um, or and and well beyond their numbers. Are there a couple things that that come to mind uh, when when making that transition to more of a you know of a, of a servant leader? Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, one of the things I talked about, you know, things you can do to get promoted is taking on those extra you know opportunities and those and so forth. I mean, one of the things that you know that you can do to help um, develop those type of things or to be identified as a servant leader is just to take those opportunities to help develop your colleagues. I mean, we um, have several opportunities within ConMed where we uh, were, I mean, you're not making extra money, but it gives you an opportunity to become like a sales trainer hmm. where, um, you know, you're actually taking time out of your own field to go work with a new hire um, to help develop them. And really by demonstrating that you're willing to do those things and that you're, and that you're capable of doing those things really um, illustrates that you, you have those capabilities of, become, of, of being a servant leader. Got it. Okay, and then on, on the topic of candor, um, that that's really interesting because I think, especially in in large companies like ConMed, for example, it's the the easy thing is sort of to 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 be a yes man, you know, um, and yeah. for for fear of you know maybe getting on the wrong side of of your boss or your senior leadership. Yeah. Uh, but instead, you're saying you're saying that you actually look for uh, people that ne- don't necessarily say no, but but. But are more transparent and authentic, uh, and aren't afraid to disagree with you. Um, what What would you say to um, to may- maybe folks that are listening to this call and sort of have that fear right now that if they, they they'd like to maybe step out of of the com- of their own comfort zone and and maybe disagree sometimes, um, but but you know they, they've got that sort of that that underlying fear. So you, yeah, you, how to step out of the um, being fear of actually, you know, going potentially to your manager and and having and expressing a different point of view. Is that right. your yeah? That your... Exactly. Yep. I mean, I really that's a tough one, Scott, because really that type of um, environment has to be created from that manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the manager doesn't create an environment where they allow candor, um, then it's hard for that person to um, you know step outside outside the box and to and to feel comfortable doing that. Um, I guess the best advice I, I, I could have is to, you know, really go in and have that type of conversation with your manager and say, hey, you know, um, this is what's happening. You know, I'm committed to the company. I'm committed to the overall vision and what we're trying to do. But, you know, this is what I'm seeing. Um, and trying to facilitate that type of um, that type of environment. But 
I mean, the question you're asking me is a really tough question because, you know, that really can't come from the bottom up. That that type of environment really has to be pushed from the top down. You know, and one of the things that I, I always, um, you know, do with my executive leadership team or the our leadership team is from my sales directors to my other directors is we conduct these um you know, we conduct an area director meeting once a quarter, and one of the things we really work on is, you know, developing um, our, uh, you know, a real trust tree. You know, one of the things we really subscribe to is the five dysfunctions of a team. And, you know, at first it's kind of tough to, you know, when you you think of the, the five dysfunctions of the team, one of the most important things is trust. Um, but as you keep working at it and you keep developing and, you know, you're doing team building and you create an open environment, where there's trust, then you can have conflict. And where, where there's trust and then you can have conflict, that's where the candor comes from. Hmm. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if I gave you the answer that you're looking for, but um, um, I hope that makes sense. No, it, no and it does. And, and, and to your point, it, it, certainly, it certainly makes it a lot easier if the culture is there where you know, someone in an executive leadership role like yourself is, cre- is, is, is trying to create that sort of, a, that sort of environment. Um, and I think you, I mean, I mean, I think you hit it on the head with, you know, maybe that person that fears, that has that fear of, of disagreeing, of voicing their disagreement on a, on a decision with their manager. They just need to have a candid conversation in a respectful way and, yeah. and, and move on. So I don't want to focus too much on that, but I was just curious to get your thought because I, 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 I wasn't expecting candor to be on the, the, the two points that you mentioned, but I, I, love, the, yeah. I love the fact that you brought it up. So let's, let's move on um, to, to a recent sort of blog series, and, and you're, you're a... You've become quite sort of quite a, a, a notorious blogger uh, in your in your own right, and you recently um, sort of finished up a series on what makes sort of the attributes or characteristics of, of both successful uh, medical device reps and and managers. Um, so mm-hmm. one, so I'd, I'd like to first ask you, well, what you know, where, where can people read more uh, read more of your your content and uh, or find your blog, and then two, um, what. Uh, you know what? What are what are some of the key key learnings that that you noticed throughout that series? Well, one of the things that we uh, decided to do is, I mean, by me blogging, it's a great opportunity for or a couple things. One is that you know in our current structure right now, uh, we have sales reps who report into area directors, who report into a sales director, then report into me, and you know there's a bigger gap than there used to be between myself and the sales force. So it allows me, one, to communicate with the sales force on a regular basis. Um, and, and, you know, there's a benefit of that because it helps promote my, the culture we're trying to promote. But it also, in, in a way, helps develop a relationship between them and myself because they hear my thoughts every week and mm. what, it, what it takes to be successful and what, I, you know, what I've observed when I'm traveling in the field. Um, that's part of it. The other part of it is it allows me to, to communicate with the, the other social networks. Um, I mean, recruiting um, is a very important part of what we do, um, developing our people and then recruiting the right people. Um, and you're quite aware of the power of social media now and LinkedIn and blogging and so forth. And it really allows an opportunity for me to communicate with potential candidates who are, you know, are more of a passive candidate who maybe aren't necessarily looking for a new opportunity, but um, see my blog and say, hey, you know what? That might be a company I might want to work for, and then they start invest, start doing more research, start going on LinkedIn and looking at other profiles of people that work for our company. So, you know, those are the two reasons why Got I it. blog. But your your second part of your question was the whole, you know, what makes a successful territory manager, and 
you know, that series really started, well, it's probably about six to nine months ago. And really what it was was, hey, let's identify, you know, our top 20% of our sales force. And let's really dig in and find out what makes them successful. You know, what are the tricks of the trade? And what was unique about the whole experience was that, you know, I would periodically post a interview, you know, once every few weeks. Uh, but then over the course of six or nine months, you know, we ended up taking them all and collecting them. And there was, there were some common threads amongst, you know, what, you know, what are some common, th- there were some common threads of what made a successful rep. You know, and some of those things were, you know, one of the things that really came to uh, to light was, you know, our most successful reps, and I would guess this would be a lot with a lot of other companies, especially companies that are going through a new product launch, startups, or, or so forth, like we're doing, is, you know, um, they exhibit, you know, rugged and fierce perseverance. Hmm. Um, I mean, when you're trying to sell a new product and you've been in this position, I mean, it's not easy. You know, you have to be able to, you know, be able to handle the rejection or, you know, the the, the issues that come with launching a new uh, product and just be able to persevere, you know, get through that wall. So that was one of them. The other thing that came out of the interviews was that these people were, you know, they were committed lifetime learners. In other words, they're always looking for opportunities to learn, you know, learn a new procedure, learn why a doctor was using our product for that specific procedure, and then sharing it with their colleagues. Um, third was relentless goal setters. They were constantly setting goals. I mean, not only just like yearly goals, but quarterly goals, weekly goals, daily goals. Um, and then um, the other thing that was, which, well, I was surprised um, to um, to find in this in the, these interviews is that they had like a global mindset. They really saw the big picture um, of what we were trying to do as a corporation, and they really set the focus um, on the overall big picture and where we were going as a company. And I think that also kind of helps with the whole perseverance. And then I guess uh, finally, uh, and it's kind of a basic skill, I guess, in sales and you know management is they were good listeners. Mm. You know, they were. They were really, um, they, they really were looking, you know, listening to their customers. Um, and we did a couple interviews with, with some managers that were successful. And what came out of that is that they were, they were always listening to their territory managers and what they needed in order to be successful. So, you know, it was pretty, uh, it was a, it, it was a pretty enlightening, um, ex- experiment that, or experience that we, uh, that, that, that we, uh, participated in. And, you know, it really actually helped us. Um, with our recruiting process, because those are the skills that we we look through throughout the recruiting process. Got it. Yeah. No. No. That that that's great stuff. And just a review. And I'm, I'm not sure. I I I personally, when I, when I listen to interviews, I I actually take notes, typically like in Evernote or something like that, just to sort of um to just from a learning. I I feel like it helps me from a learning perspective. But it, if anyone's taking notes, those those five that Sean mentioned: rugged perseverance, uh, lifetime. Uh, lifetime learners, relentless goal setters, gl- uh, you know, having a global mindset, and then lastly, uh, the ability to to listen well or you know, good listeners. Um, those were kind of the five of you that you mentioned. All all great, and a couple of them are kind of surprising. I mean, maybe perseverance and goal setting is fairly common, but lifetime <laughs> learning, the global mindset. That's, that's that's those are really interesting sort of qualities that you that you notice. And I love the fact that when I read your blog. Um, it's not. It doesn't have like the typical corporate spin that you'd that you'd get maybe from reading, 
you know, some other sort of um, executive leader that would write down, write down something. You'd have some, you know, you'd have the corporate mark on people get involved and it would turn into like, you know, a piece that wasn't enjoyable to read. But that's, I, that's, I, I actually, your, your, uh, your writing is very engaging and very, very, very good. I, I would encourage anyone listening to, to go check out Sean's, Sean's blog for sure. Appreciate that. Thanks yeah. No, I mean that. I mean that. Um, it's it's uncommon in in uh, in the device in the medical device space. So it's it's definitely appreciated. Uh, we need more of it, in my opinion. Um, so let, let's let's use this as sort of a transition point to. Um, I introduced you as the vice president of sales for uh, or vice president of sales and marketing, and I'm not sure exactly how recent yeah. how recent this was, but I think you you did combine sort of the sales and marketing departments under one umbrella. I'm curious to get your thoughts on on how that went, and maybe some of the biggest biggest surprises—not necessarily surprises, but the biggest sort of takeaways that that uh, that you got from combining both of those departments. Yeah, I mean, um, probably two years ago, we combined sales and marketing, and um, for us, it made sense. I mean, I'm not saying that it makes sense for every organization to do that, but for us, it, it, it seemed to make sense. I mean, one of the observations that I've made throughout my career was that. So, you know, I carried a bag. I was a salesperson, and I was an area director, a sales manager. But I often found that, you know, there was this disjointment uh, between sales and marketing. It was kind of like two trains, you know, running in opposite directions in the middle of the night. Of the night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just found that there was so much opportunity that if there was better collaboration between, between the both departments, that um, there could be tremendous opportunity for an organization. Um, so you know, the observation that we've learned over the past couple of years is that, well, one, there's no silos. I mean, I have basically reporting to me, I have two directors, or three directors. I have a director of sales and uh, two directors of sales and a director of marketing. And we are always communicating. Um, once a quarter, we're always getting together. You know, you, I have my directors of sales presenting numbers. I've got my marketing department uh, presenting their MBOs for the quarter. And we're always updating each other. And what happens is, is that, you know, you have salespeople who are saying, hey, we really need this in order to help us sell this particular product or something like that. Um, and then you have marketing in the same room, and then they're creating these tools in order to, you know, support the sales force. Instead of, you know, running both in different silos and um, having marketing saying, here's a sales tool to help you sell this product when it was never asked for in the first place. So, you know, one of the things I – the biggest – I guess, takeaway for me um, was that when you combine sales and marketing, whether you're doing a product launch or, a lot, or you're, you're releasing a new, doc, a new supporting material or anything like that, is that you're learning uh, then you launch versus when you have sales and marketing um, separated, you launch, then you learn after. Hmm. So, you know, if you think of where the industry is going right now, I mean, so many companies are launching new products so much faster than they were before. And it's so important that we're much more efficient with our resources. But I really can believe that, you know, at least for us, anyway, we've seen tremendous benefit from, um, from combining both sales and marketing. And really it's more, and it all comes down to just this better collaboration between, between the two departments. Got it. And you, you said that, I, I want to, I because you, you cut out for the, a, a little bit and I didn't quite catch the, the verbiage that you used, but did you say that, in essence, it allowed, you know, especially specific to a product launch, it allows you to learn before you launch versus just simply launching a product and then learning after? Exactly. Got it, got it. Okay, I think that's really, that's really valuable, especially, um, you know, when, when you, um, 
you know the, the tech, the consumer tech companies get a lot of get a lot of hype. You know the Dropboxes of the world and the Airbnbs of the world, and they're known for you know iterating extremely quickly. Um, and so I think that yeah. that speaks that speaks to your point of being able to, especially with the with a product with an imminent product launch, to be able to to learn and iterate yeah. very quickly rather than just dump a product and and sort of learn after the fact. Um, and the other thing is, um, I also think you're more effective with your resources because what ends up happening is, is that you know. The, the marketing people are creating tools that the sales organization said they needed to use, and then because they all report into one a person, myself, is there's a, there's a high level of accountability um, where you know if you say you need this, we're going to develop it for you, and then you better use it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Right. Uh, yeah, that's 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 good stuff. And I've got I've got a uh, a lot you know quite a few other questions that I want to get to, but for the sake of time, I may I may uh, skip a couple of these, but. Um, sure. But I, I am interested in, in sort of the, the concept of direct sales versus distribution, um, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that because I know I think at NeoVasc, uh, you know, you, you spent a short time at NeoVasc, which was I think a, a, a sort of a distribution model. Do you think that in the medical device space, be, because SGNA costs are so high, that we may we may get to a point where di- distribution becomes becomes more normal than it is today? Yeah, well, at least in our space, I mean, it really depends where it, where distribution makes sense, right? Uh-huh. I mean, when you're dealing with a commodity item um, that is mass-produced, um, distribution might is is a good model for that, especially if you have like a smaller sales force. I mean, you have your distribution channel; you can reach so many more people. And you know, obviously, with you know hospitals trying to contain costs, it's much more effective for them to you know deal with a distribution, which all the products are being funneled through, versus ordering from each individual you know uh, company that they need product from. However, with that said, is the direct model really works well when you have a, a product that's a proprietary product, a new product, um, a product that requires a real clinical sales process to it. Um, that type of model, keeping that direct, at least for us, makes sense. I mean, there's a couple of reasons why that makes sense. Is you know, If you're launching a new product um, that um, has a real clinical sales process, you want to be able to get your feedback really quickly. And a lot of times, if you go through a distribution model or distribution chain, that feedback from the customer is, is delayed. Um, the other thing, too, is when you're doing, a, um, when you're doing direct, it really allows you to monitor and be aware of where your sales are going. I mean, with a distribution model, you usually ship one order to a, to, to a distributor. That product gets filtered out to different customers, and then they eventually will report back to you where those sales went. But there's a, there's a real delay in getting feedback as to where those sales are going. So when it comes to you know the commodity-based items, a uh, product that's been around that's in you know the later uh, growth stages, so to speak, or in the mature stages, uh, might make sense to do a distribution model. But when it comes to new products, startups, um, I think the direct model is going to stay. Got it. Okay. Um, and then let's let let's segue into uh, a point that you mentioned earlier in talking about successful reps having a kind of a global mindset. And I obviously in your in your role as you know the, the VP of Sales and Marketing for ConMed. You've got to um, you've got to definitely have a global mindset, and and you're thinking about where is this healthcare, you know, the the changes that we're seeing in the healthcare environment now. Where where is this going? And so, you know, on on you know with you know having said that, or on that on that note, um, what what sort of concerns you the most uh, about about the you know sort of the disruption that's going on within healthcare right now? Um, 
And then on the other hand, what, what are you really excited about? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, with the whole healthcare reform, I mean, I have many concerns, just like many other medical device executives do. I mean, one of my biggest concerns is that, you know, if you think of the, um, um, the medical device tax, um, at the end of the day, we're increasing our cost of our products. And what my biggest concern is is that one of the great things about the medical device industry is the innovation within the industry. Mm-hmm. And what my concern is is that if you look back, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, it wasn't unheard of. It was pretty much the norm where medical device companies were showing rates of, you know, growth rates of, you know, 10 12%. You know, if you look at the overall growth of the medical device industry with companies across the board in single digits right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as, as, as growth uh, slows, um, you can only, and obviously we have to um, provide uh, return to our investors, you eventually have to start cutting costs, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you throw the medical device tax on top of that, Really, what you're going to end up having, my my concern is, you know, all that innovation, the R and D efforts, and so forth, are really going to be focused on driving costs down mm-hmm. instead of um, driving innovation and new products and so forth in the industry. Um, so that would be, you know, one of my my concerns with, you know, some of these this new healthcare care reform. And you know, I have an interesting perspective. The second concern is, is that um, I'm originally from Canada, so I've been living in the U.S. for about ten years. I actually started my medical device sales career in Canada yeah. and, and was, a, was a patient within the healthcare system within Canada. And that is not the perfect system. Um, you know, having a government make healthcare decisions for you instead of being in a position to make your own decisions, um, I don't think that's the solution that we're looking for. Um, so does that answer your question? No, it do, it does, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the the fact that you're you're you know you're originally from Canada, so you do you definitely do have a unique perspective that you can offer, um, considering the position you're in now. Um, and you know, there's certainly a lot of doom and gloom. Uh, you mentioned a lot of those you know the, sort of those points that, those concerning points to you, namely um, the fo- you know the, the the focus on on almost increasing operational efficiency versus product innovation or, or top line growth. Um, is there, I mean, when you look at the environment we're in right now, are, are there a few things that, that we can be optimistic about then? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, one of the things that I think, you know, everybody is afraid of change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, you know, people that have a hard time dealing with change is because they focus on the exit of change versus the entrance of change. Hmm. You know, with change brings opportunity. And with that opportunity, I mean, I, if you go to the, the different you know, healthcare systems, uh, you know, within the country. I mean, there's so much opportunity to, you know, um, to, to find efficiencies. And there hasn't been a, a better time where you have hospitals who are willing to listen and are, 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 are willing to think outside the box and are willing to, you know, to talk, talk to different companies who are bringing innovative solutions in order to help them with their current challenges that they're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and it, it almost comes down to, to really uh, almost a mindset. I'm not sure if you would agree with, agree with this, but um, but those folks that look that truly look and believe at at cha- or view view change as a, as a, as a chance for opportunity, those are the folks that are going to uh, are going to make a difference and succeed in the future. Versus, you know, if you if you view change as just a it's disruptive and 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 you're pessimistic about it, well, then you'll probably see the fruits of that. 
Would you agree? I agree. It sounds cliche and it sounds simple, but it kind of, it kind of almost, you know, in a sense, comes down to just basic, mind, you know, mindset. Okay, we're back. I had a slight te technical difficulty there, but um, in 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 referencing sort of the, the the current change that we're experiencing within the healthcare environment, and then looking at your your current your current uh, product portfolio as well as maybe what's in your pipeline, how important it is? How important is it to uh, to be able to incorporate and communicate the the economic value uh, of a medical device uh, today? Well, today even more so than ever before. Um, that is imperative to, for a company um, and, you know, marketing and sales department to be able to, you know, clearly communicate the economic value of, of a medical device that you're pro promoting. I mean, we're living in a day and age now where, you know, we're in clinical, hospitals are, are, are looking at clinical-based medicine and they want the supporting data uh, to weigh in to the economic benefit. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a continued debate that happen in, you know, you know, when we're in the value analysis committees and, you know, hospitals or, you know, administrations are, are talking, you know, with their, with their physicians, you know, does the clinical benefit outweigh the cost? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the biggest challenge is, is we, I mean, everybody, I mean, if I was a patient, I want the very best clinical outcome possible. And, you know, the clinical benefit, so how much of the clinical benefit weighs a certain cost? And that's, I think, what's happening right now is, is the debate within the industry, trying to figure that out. And, you know, as a medical device company, um, we have to be able to clearly um, demonstrate and, and provide the supporting data that would, you know, that clearly communicates the economic benefit of your product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you mentioned the value analysis team. I think you hit it on the nose in that. Um, Yes, the, the clinical data uh, may be superior, but is it worth the, the price uptick? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And uh, and it's interesting. I did a, a you know an interview recently with um, uh, with a consultant from LEK, and um, and you know he he hit out on the nose and that you know some of these these decision makers aren't you know uh, we all know that that physicians are are becoming less and less of a decision maker. But he he referenced the fact that you know hospital administrators and these value analysis teams. Yeah. Are becoming the you know the new thought leaders or the new KOLs, and I thought it was a great point. Yeah. But um, oh yeah, the physicians nowadays. I mean, um, we talk a lot about. I mean, how you know, at one point in time, I mean, if a surgeon wanted something, they got it. Ten mm -hmm. years ago, I want this product. They would ship it in for the for, for that doctor. Yeah. Nowadays, to your point, there's so much power, uh, and we call it political capital. Mm -hmm. Surgeons are having less and less political capital, and as a company. You know, you have to be able, to, and this is on the surgeon side, is be able to clearly demonstrate that your product is that much superior than what they're using and what are issues they're currently having so that they're, they're willing to, you know, expend what little capital, little political capital they have in order to get your product in. Yeah. And that's what is the real um, transition in, in, in the whole sales process amongst medical device companies now. Yeah, I, lo I love that terminology, political capital. I, I always sort of refer to it as they have, they've got less arrows in their quiver, but uh, less, political cap <laughs> less political capital sounds, uh, sounds a little <laughs> bit more professional. Um, so let, let's, uh, let, let's you know, reach towards a, towards a sort of a conclusion here. Um, you know, when you look at, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, you've had a rapid sort of ascent within your medical device career. Um, are, there a, are there a few things that, that you really wish, um, or that I should, let me rephrase that, that you, that you know now that you really wish you understood, you know, back when you first started as a, as a medical device rep? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, um, that's a that's a that's a tough question. But you know, I do um, have some thoughts on on that. Um, you know, one of the things when I first started my career, um, you know, being in sales, you know, we talked about the alphas and the type A personalities. You know, I had my defeats. You know, there were I didn't get every deal that I um, that I was out there trying to to close, and um, you know, I beat myself up all the time if I, if I would lose a deal. Um, and yet, at the same time, you know, there was a lot of deals I was closing, and you know, I closed like ten deals, but lose one and and harp on the one deal that I lost. Yet, didn't spend enough time, you know, I could, you know, taking time to smell the roses and mm-hmm. enjoying the ride. And um, and really, I guess it goes back to the global mindset. I mean, if you're out there and you're working hard every day, um, you're going to create your opportunity. You're going to create luck for yourself. And you're gonna, you're, good things are gonna happen. And you just gotta, you know, persevere, keep going, um, you know, and, uh, just really, in, I guess, enjoy the ride. Yeah. I mean, selling medical device is such a great, it's such a great job. I mean, I've never enjoyed, um, you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just enjoy selling medical devices. I mean, where do you have an opportunity, um, to, you know, obviously sell a product and, you know, there's a lot of people in sales and they enjoy the whole sales process and the hunt, you know, mm-hmm. and the successes. But here we are, we're in an opportunity where we're actually selling products that makes people li- people's lives better, that have, uh, you know, clinical benefits to people and are really making a difference. And um, I think early in my career, um, I was so focused on, you know, um, achieving the overall goal and the overall sales number. And, you know, that's obviously important. Been enjoying the ride along the way. Yeah, no, I, I love that you brought that up. In fact, I, I'm I'm reminded of a, uh, a, a an article that I recently read by Ryan Holiday. He he wrote the um, he uh, I think his first uh, best. He's kind of famous for working with Tim Ferriss and and Tucker Max mm-hmm. and um, Robert Greene. Uh, you know, through his through his books. But Ryan recently released a book um, called Confessions of a Media Manipulator. Uh, which was a fascinating read. The title is obviously pretty provocative, but he also released another book called Growth, uh, Growth Hacker Marketing, or something along those lines. But great, great writer. But he re- recently read, uh, wrote a piece about um, it was almost a letter to himself um, early on in his career. And and the thing that stood out to me most was um, I think some, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, make sure you breathe and enjoy the journey. Uh, and not just you know what 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 achievement lies you know beyond the journey and and just that that idea of of really enjoy, enjoying that process take you know taking a step back taking a breath and enjoying the process I think is um is huge um, so I'm really glad you you brought that up um, that's good stuff so Sean um, we'll go ahead and reach to reach reach a conclusion I'm, what the, the name I didn't get, get I, w- I want to make sure that we state the uh, the actual URL of your blog and I'll, I'll of course link link to it in the in the show notes. Um, that are posted on, on medsider.com, but why don't you go ahead and, and, and provide the, the actual sure. website address for your blog right now? It, sure, it's uh, www.medexec.org. Okay, and let me, I'm gonna, and, for the transcriber, it's, it's medexec, M-E-D-E-X-E-C.org? That's correct. Got it, okay, okay, very good. And, and the I, other thing I would, the other thing I would encourage people to do is if they get a moment on LinkedIn, to follow our company webpage. I mean, that's where we're often giving updates about new opportunities mm-hmm. that we have throughout the country, not only in sales, but, you know, other other divisions as well as in marketing. So um, I would encourage people to do that as well. 
to, to check out the ConMed LinkedIn page. And I and I we didn't really get a touch to, a chance to touch on this earlier, but I love the fact that you brought up you know when when I, when I you know we we brought up the subject of of why you're blogging so much. And you mentioned the idea of passive recruiting, and I love that aspect because I got to think that there's a lot of people, a lot of sales reps out there that have maybe are in a a culture that that isn't very compelling or or, or doesn't allow you know doesn't foster growth and uh, for, you know both on a professional and personal level, and they see what you know the sort of stuff that you're writing, and they see that your, your leadership and the culture you're trying to create, and I got to think that that's you know that's that's you know, caused a lot of folks to reach out to you directly or reach out to the ConMed team for, you know, to, to see what they can do to get involved in your, you know, in what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, all right, cool. Well, um, for those listening, uh, thanks so much for your listening here. If you want to check out uh, other episodes of MedSider, go to MedSider.com. You can subscribe to the email list. That's where we notify notify you whenever there's a new uh, episode release. You can also su- subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever sort of audio medium you listen to. Just search for MedSide or a medical device or Scott Nelson and, and you'll find it uh, pretty easy to subscribe in a number of different ways. So anyway, um, uh, Sean, I'll have you hold on the line here. But, um, but again, thanks for your listening and att- uh, attention. Until the next episode of MedSider, everyone, take care.